0: Like birds of a feather we flock together And that's wherever we roam
1: Lori Pandy has spent her entire career in the scenes and behind the scenes of the performing arts, mostly in the theater. And for reasons that even now aren't entirely clear to me, Pandy felt compelled to create a musical about the life of artist and naturalist John J. Audubon. Baby dear, now go to sleep, not to fear
0: I wanted a character, an American character, that could represent the arts. It is a story that gives you hope because this is a man who dreamed of teaching the world about North American birds. I'm Matt pikin and
1: this is The Overlook, a daily podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guest today is Lori Pandy, who titled her new show about Audubon, The American Woodsman. It premieres June 23rd and runs for eight performances at the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts. We'll talk about her path from Chicago to South Florida to Asheville, what led her to Audubon's work and story, and marshalling her financial and professional relationship research. Sources to bring her vision to life. It's easy and economical to promote your event on this podcast, whether it's an upcoming play, concert, fundraising gala, or anything else you want my audience to know about. I can talk up your event right here for as little as $40 an episode. To hear sample ads and order up your own, go to podavl.com slash advertise. Just fill in a few details right on the website and I'll do the rest. That's p-o-d-a-v-l dot com slash advertise. Lori Pandy moved to Asheville in 2009 and became known more for her antique shop, wine bar, and jazz club than for her work in theater. But in this conversation about her artistic roots and path, she was quick to drop the names of famous people she has worked or lived with.
0: I did film at the Burt Reynolds Ranch. I went to school with John Hughes, studied with some excellent dancers, Merce Cunningham. Madeline Stowe was my roommate. I was next to the Byrne Piven Theatre Workshop, which is Jeremy Piven. I got to interview Ray Bulger and Drew Barrymore. I went to the high school where they made Breakfast Club This conversation
1: gets a little circular at times, but I began it by asking Pandy what led her from a career focused on performance to one of directing performance.
0: I would say when I was in the agency with a group of people that you probably have heard of, all of them have become famous, Kim Cattrall for one. I didn't like the competition. I didn't like the cutthroat. And I would go to an audition and find that my audition was just as good as someone else's audition, but there came down to the casting couch, basically, and I wasn't giving into that. And so I decided to get into directing. And I I really loved it. I got to do it in college, Steamboat Springs, Perry Mansfield. Now only Juilliard students go there in the summer. But it's in the mountains and very old school that my college used to own. And I first directed at the Julie Harris Theater, age 21. Robert Redford's daughter, Shauna, was in it. And another actor's daughter, George Siegel's, Elizabeth Siegel's daughter. And I got my feet wet. And I knew, even though when I went back to Chicago to perform, that I will want to get back into directing. Was this, were you still in your 20s then? I was, Wow.
1: When you moved here in 2009 and you opened a shop, you had some businesses in mind. Were you already fully behind the scenes directing and writing versus
0: performing? Or were you still performing when you moved here? I was a director before I moved here. I got out of the bureaucracy of the school system. I retired very early, but I couldn't retire. I had to continue working, (laughs) Yeah, you. so I got into the antiques. But I would walk every every Wednesday afternoon at 1 o'clock, walk down from Church Street to Asheville School of Music and take jazz vocals. You're getting to a question I was going to have. Here you were,
1: I can't imagine you moved here and felt... Wow, this is going to be a nirvana for me for creating theater and working with actors and actresses and dance people here. I can't imagine you thought that when you moved here, or did you?
0: So as I was selling antiques, I started missing the entertainment world, and that's why I put the nightclub in and we had jazz musicians, and we started singing, and then I started missing theater, and that's when I decided to write the play. You said
1: when you had your jazz club, that's when you started writing what became The American Woodsman. Was this your first stab at writing
0: theater for adults? Possibly, yes, I think so. Writing a full-length Broadway musical is what this is. Flesh this out a little more for Mm -hmm. me. What was the
1: inspiration behind you writing a story about this at all, let alone putting it on stage?
0: I went to a Bob Proctor event in Toronto. I don't know if you know who that is. He just passed away last year. He's an inspirational speaker that reaches still to this day millions of people around the world about what the question is, what do you really want to do? So I come to realize during this conference, seeing the 80 people that paid the money to fly to Toronto, scribbling and scratching their heads and trying to figure out that one answer to the question, what do you really want to do? As we age, or throughout any age, does anybody have an answer for that question? Are you doing what you really want to do? I realized I wasn't doing what I really wanted to do. And somehow, I searched and for about one second <laughs> and said, I want to direct a Broadway musical. And they didn't laugh. They didn't look at me like, oh. They said, that's what you have to do.
1: Directing a Broadway musical is one thing. It's another creating one out of whole cloth. And
0: that's because I knew nobody was going to hire me. I was a children's theater director, a woman living and and directing in schools, in regional theaters throughout my life. And I am not, I've never dipped my toe in the New York world. It's highly competitive. And so I decided that if I'm going to direct a Broadway musical, I'm going to have to write it myself, including the music and songs, which I did. Now, why this story? this story i wanted a character an american character that could represent the arts something in the arts and daughter and i had been building a house choosing colors from the the birds of america john james audubon's book the birds of america and we were choosing paint colors from the great blue heron and the pheasant and turkey. And so each room had the paint colors of the feathers of the bird. And you'll find other designers that have done this. They'll design a whole house with the Benjamin Moore colors or historical colors from the bird's feathers. Okay. You're inspired visually, right? Why this person's story? I went on a pilgrimage to Louisiana, where they have tours on what life was like during the time of John James Audubon, and I start, I spoke with the Historical Society, and they were able to get journals for me, and I read his journals, and his journals were more than notes of ornithology and specific birds, like the peewee flycatcher, who is possibly the star of our show. And so each of the birds Audubon has painted, he was the first artist to draw a bird and depict a bird within its habitat. So that's educational for me as well. And the question that you asked about... Yeah, why his story? His stories were very well written, very entertaining. He has chapters like... Kentucky barbecue on the 4th of July earthquake in fair cognito where he meets a madam and he has to paint
1: her. Did you take his writings and use those as the foundation for the libretto? Absolutely. You did that. So now had you had any training, musical training, you said you had sung, but had you grown up as a musician at all? Had you played, performed music?
0: No, I think we sell ourselves short because humans have a background of singing, chanting. Of all the students that I've taught musical theater, I found very few tone deaf. And I think that we are supposed to sing as human beings, and I grew up in a family where we sang songs, wrote poetry, went on vacations and stayed at Holiday Inns. Dad was a traveling salesman, and we sang all of our songs in the car together, and we were just a sing-song family. But so many families were. This is something that we're losing from the American family, but I grew up that way, and most of the people that I grew up with, they all sang songs.
1: Yeah, but we weren't composing musical theater. And if you don't grow up knowing music in that way, how do you compose music yourself? If you don't know, and for this show in particular, if you didn't have that grounding in compositional education, I'm just curious, how did you begin
0: forming song and structure? Probably after having directed 30 years of musical theater, I just understood it. Wherever
1: you go, and there my heart goes, it's breaking for you. One day you come home to me, the wind will blow you here. Just like a leaf upon a
0: breeze, I'll know when you are near. And I am also ORF certified. I don't know if Carl ORF. Yes, but explain (laughs) Carl ORF. I know the name. I don't know who he was, though. So I, I attended music school of DePaul in Chicago in my thirties because I was fascinated with xylophones of every shape and size and and teaching children Carl Orff is without melody, so the voice becomes the melody. So you're working with pentatonic xylophone bars of metallic, of rosewood, different shapes and sizes. And so you get to know the rhythm of music. You get to study the, the design of music. In musical theater, you've got a couple of verses and a chorus and then a dance instrumental and then maybe another verse and a chorus again. So those things I would say, OK, I need a song. I need a song for Earthquake 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 is it's going to make you scream it's going to make you shout it's going to it's going to be almost operatic and you're going to pray to god that you're going to live through this earthquake because you it's a life or death experience and that brought me to gospel and a feeling of being in in a southern church so it happened a minute here and a minute there and quickly on the backs of envelopes and checkbooks and Asheville inspired me in the springtime. The birds really did it for me. Stephen Purdy came down from New York. He is a Broadway guy. He's done a lot of Broadway arrangements, and he would take my little melodies and chords and turn them into arrangements. And he probably charted them for you as well. I imagine we've had a scribe, Jeremy, and now Michael Yannetty from University of Western yeah, is my. I know Michael Yannetty. Well, he's the music director from Western Carolina. Yes, and we worked together in South Florida for about twenty. 25 years.
1: So you started writing in 2017. Did, was this story wholly realized in your mind as you were writing, or did you write and then discover more story, write and discover more story, and then whittle away from there to keep what was an essence? Because you could probably go down a lot of different angles mm-hmm. with this story.
0: So I went to Kona with Bob Proctor and a group of people. It was called 1%. And 1% of the people that create a goal a really incredible goal only one percent of the people follow through on their goal, complete their goal. So there we were within five volcanoes. Wait, this is when you said in Hawaii. What, you ju- just a little context. Yep, one
1: percent. Was this a program that you paid for? Yes, it was a program that I paid for to belong to. So to take. So it's for people with ideas uh-huh. that they want to fully realize. That's right. And so you pay, and you're all in Kona in this beautiful setting, and continue. I just wanted to give context to the audience. And Bob
0: is giving me ideas like you need to have a Tony. And I had a little water bottle. I said, I guess this is my Tony. He says, "Oh, that is your Tony award." That and you believe that. And so we were so inspired and so high in a creative mind of a group of people that all wanted to create in this high-spirited fashion. Uh, got on a plane, came to Asheville, had auditions the next day. Eight people showed up. They all got in the place. Some of them I'm still working with. They're in the show. Uh, we rent. I rented ACT, the whole theater, for a week. I read the chapters of Audubon, They, the ones that I loved. They did the improv. And some of the actors are the inspiration of characters that I created but a lot of the characters have their true names that I got from the Historical Society in St. Francisville.
1: Tell me about the evolution of this show, of getting it on its Mm -hmm. feet.
0: I had the ideas of the beginning, and I was following his migration of the peewee flycatcher, some characters, a cabin homestead, grandfather, relative sisters, characters that I wanted. And those were the kind of people that I was looking for that showed up. I would read as they improvised. I wrote each scene at night, typed it in the morning. We printed it and delivered it the next day. And then they acted it on stage. We did that for one week. We filmed it on the last day, Friday, and that was act one. And it's very similar today to what it was that seven years ago.
1: The Overlook is going live, and you can be part of our very first live podcasting event. I'll record conversations with Asheville Symphony Orchestra music director Darko Buteritz and the local old-time Americana duo The Resonant Rogues, along with a special guest to be named later. The Overlook Live happens Wednesday, September 27th at the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts. Tickets will go fast once they're on sale to the general public, but anyone joining my Patreon campaign through June gets in free. Go to patreon.com slash The Overlook Podcast to support the show now and secure your ticket for The Overlook Live. What did you not know about this process that you could only learn by doing it? What were some of the challenges that you faced that would have been seen as pretty big obstacles if you knew about them in advance but before you just confronted them.
0: It was a small cast and my daughter Alice played Lucy, John's wife. And she said, mom, why are you renting such a large stage when you could use a smaller amount of money and start in a little black box? And I said, I wanted the whole space the negative space in my mind was filled in with the forest and there was a cabin. And I needed to see this bigger than life. I needed to see it on the stage already. And so we blocked just with chairs, but we used the whole space. And so you got to see it almost like it's already done. The writing process was interesting. One of my Friends that I had worked with, an Emmy Award winning, Frank Eberling, did the actual formatting for me. I wrote from my mind, from my notes, and he would type. And so that's how we put the script together. And I'd look at a scene and I'd say, I need a song. I need another song for this. I need a song for that scene.
1: So that did go along. As you went, you mm -hmm. saw, oh, I need something here. I need something there. Right. Now... Did you use the songs for character development? Mm. Did you use them for exposition? What did you want to accomplish in song that you
0: weren't doing in the narrative? The song drives the story for the musical. I am an American woodsman. He's singing in the woods. Wouldn't everybody love to sing in the woods about being a woodsman? I am an
1: American woodsman, my fortune for to seek. I am an American woodsman, as plain as day can be. Throughout the woods I wander, everywhere I roam. I am an American woodsman, I call the woods my home.
0: In fact, it had to start with I am. Because one of my writing friends from Northwestern University, I didn't tell you that part. (laughs) I, I got my master's at Northwestern in between all of that. But one of the friends from the English department was comparing Moby Dick. And Moby Dick is I am, call me Ishmael. And so I felt like the great I am is for each person to think about who am I. And when I'm alone in the forest, I am. And this is a search for me also, who am I? Each song tells a story. There's a love song. John goes in and out the door. So the wind blows open. He leaves. The door blows open with the wind. He comes home. And she sings, you come and go as the wind blows. It's probably one of the best songs, but I heard it in the chimes outside my bedroom window one morning, and I wrote it that way because I could hear the wind going back and forth. And and it seemed to tell the story of how he kept leaving his family to go off to paint these birds. He was completely obsessed with telling the story of these birds and very worried about the habitat disappearing as the passenger pigeon did during his lifetime as early as the 1800s. Have you performed this in its entirety? No. We recorded it at Echo Mountain. So it is a complete two and a half hour radio show two and a half years it took to record. First we did the songs, then we did all the dialogue, but I did it in a radio fashion because I couldn't get on the stage during COVID and I was not going to let the story die. I have not stopped for one day. How has the show evolved as you've
1: begun rehearsals and staging it in a way that you might not have ever envisioned when you were preparing it for a radio recording?
0: We have a new cast. There are a couple of the original characters remain, but we have Michael Iannetti, who is very big with choir, and he's brought the music to a very full sound with many voices, well-written, and he's added some things. So it's growth. Is there going to be a live orchestra? It's going to be Michael and a violinist. Oh, okay. So it's two-piece. Okay. And then we have a wonderful choreographer. He is Gary Flannery. He did the solo in All That Jazz, the movie, The Adagio. He was chosen by George Balanchine at the age of 12. He danced with Bob Fosse. And you're producing
1: this at the Wortham. Have you self-financed this entirely? I have. Can Mm -hmm.
0: I ask how much you've put into it? I don't know. You don't know? (laughs) Wow. I don't, I really don't know, but I know that I keep selling things to do it with. And I, a good house worth, I'd say.
1: That shows quite a commitment to this show. Why do you think you are so deeply invested, literally and psychologically, spiritually? This seems like a culmination of a life's path. You had no personal connection to this person. I'm just curious. I
0: have become connected to his quest as an American, I may be a woman, but I know many men have a quest and I think a lot of women do too. And I think it's it's a female story as well because lots of things can try to get you down, but if you believe in it and your heart is there telling the art that you want to express in a story that you feel is got messages for people, then I believe It's worth it. My friend, Demetra George, who is a Grammy nominee, she's read it and listened to all the music. And she said, Lori, she said, America needs hope right now. She said, There's no violence. There's no sex. There's no fighting. There's just family stories. There's art. There's fear. There's death. There's sadness. There's humor. There's chasing flamingos, tangos. It is a story that gives you hope because this is a man who dreamed of teaching the world about North American
1: birds. I heard from one of your cast members that there's some at least some minor protest around just the very notion of a John James Audubon mm-hmm. story being put on stage. And I don't understand the full context of this other than that they believe that John James Audubon was an enslaver and has a racist past. I'm wondering, were you, are you aware of these people who are saying this? And what's your response? <laughs>
0: The journals that I got from the Historical Society in St. Francisville, none of those journals. And of course, it's his writing. I'm writing what I'm reading and retelling what he wrote. Nothing about what he wrote is going to be negative. His granddaughter took out, apparently, cleaned up whatever. I didn't know that. I'm reading and falling in love with everything that's happening. And yeah, there are some people that don't understand what it takes to tell the story because you're an artist, because art is a free space, because you want to express that part of an imperfect human being. And certainly he was imperfect. And during those times, we've got a history and we know what we're all busting through. I think we're doing a pretty darn good job of it. So I yeah. don't really let small things or people who haven't read the play or don't understand the focus of what we're trying to do. I don't understand it, but I do engage people in giving it a chance. Come see the play with an open mind.
1: I was just curious if that concern at all gave you pause for, oh, should I include anything about this in my show? Or I was just curious if that at all affected or tilted your Mm -hmm. writing process to any degree.
0: As far as I can tell, that those things didn't occur during the time period. I've got a chronological tale of him traveling southward and going to Scotland to do his acquaintance and making the book and coming back and visit with the president and have his book enter the Library of Congress. I didn't come across any of it. I'm not looking for it. I'm trying to give us a broad spectrum of are the deadly sins in there? Some of them are, yes. Temptation is there, and but there's some heartbreak and uh, sadness. And then we show how a man and woman, John and Lucy, love each other so much, they're able to recover from losing two daughters and show how their love can move on and continue to work toward creating this 25-year process of making the big
1: book. And the making of the book is the narrative thread through this? That's right. Interesting. You're on the precipice of premiering this. Yes. It seems like you've got a lot of creative life left. What do you want to do for this show afterward? Is, do you have a certain ambition for this show, or are you already writing another
0: show? No, this show has another life. It has a life beyond Asheville, I believe. So I'm affiliated with the South Florida Theaters. We've got the Flat Rock Theater. I want it to go equity, of course. Do you see a, a cinematic life for it? Do you see something on screen Absolutely, it? I see Netflix. There's <laughs> so much about this guy. So many stories, you just can't, you can't run out. On gossamer wings, she'll fly. On gossamer wings, oh my.
1: I want to thank my guest today, Lori Pandy, creator of The American Woodsman, premiering June 23rd at the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are online by 6 a.m. every weekday wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at podavl.com. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash The Overlook Podcast. I'm Matt Pikin and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.